welcome to the Gurkha Welfare Trust podcast. The Gurkha Welfare Trust has been working in Nepal supporting veterans for over 50 years. This series of podcasts is our way of sharing a few of the stories of those we help, as well as some of the exclusive interviews with some of our most interesting friends of the Trust. Today, I'll be introducing John P. Cross, a legend amongst the Gurkha community. After serving the British Army for over 39 years, he became the first Englishman to become a Nepali citizen. He is a member of the Chartered Institute of Linguists in Nepali and can also speak nine other languages. He has an MBE, an OBE, and has 21 books published in the UK, USA, India, Nepal, Malaysia, Singapore, Poland, and Czech Republic. We caught up with him via Zoom at the start of the year to talk through some of his amazing memories from service and his love for the great country of Nepal. I was in Borneo, the unusual position, commanded border scouts, and I was a lieutenant colonel in two armies and a police superintendent in three police forces, and none of them paid me because they thought the other person was paying for 10 months and two days. I was satellite to the Inspector General of Police and the Major General, Director of Operations Borneo, mm. and we went to a training camp of my border scouts near the border of Indonesia and Sarawak. And a man who had 18 marks on his knuckles and his wrist on the back of his hand came up to the Inspector General of Police, Claude Fenner, and spoke very good Malay, and in Iban said, will you please come to my house? He had a quarrel with the government, but he didn't say so. I was detailed to go to the house, and I went a week later. The house, a long house in Borneo, was in a stream, two rivers, and I climbed a pole. I had two Ebans with me, armored, but they soon disappeared. And the head man, Jim Wan, who won a police medal for gallantry during the war, took me to his private room and gave me something to eat. He gave me some twok, rice beer to drink, and a small glass which I poured away for the gods. And I sipped the other because I don't normally touch the stuff. He then took me into the main room, and there were about three zero, 30 people in front of me. And he sat by my side, and for 20 minutes, probably, on and on and on. I was the enemy. I took his men away to be border scouts. I represented government. I was filth. And suddenly, he jumped up, and from behind a door, he took a Japanese sword. And he held his sword over me. I was sitting on a mat, cross-legged. And he said, why shouldn't I kill you? Look up. And I looked up, and there were the eight skulls that he'd taken off heads, hanging down like a bunch of grotesque Spanish onions. Well, that was a situation that I had not been in before. So I looked up at him and said, well, yes, why not? You're tired and the light is not good. How about tomorrow morning early? And for an eternity of five, ten seconds, <clears throat> he held the sword above him and then he put it in the scabbard and sat down. I wasn't a noise at all, and I looked at by the 30 people in front. I didn't have all this nonsense in front of me then. And after about a couple of minutes, a poet from the end of the room started singing pantoons, and pantoons are rhyme couplets. Jim Wan is so brave, he got a police medal during the war, he's cut 18 heads off, he's going to cut the 19th off tomorrow. 
And one by one, the 30 in front of me left. And then this wretched man, Jim Wan, got up. And I was left alone. And then the well of fear broke out. And I was dripping sweat from my nose. And I had it on the rice straw mat I was sitting on. And then a woman came to me and sat down and pointed and said, that's your room, the other side of the whole place. And uh, I got up and she put me inside, locked the door. And I spent the night, I suppose, by then it would be only eight o'clock on a rice mat. It was a very long night. But in the morning, luckily, the two men who had completely disappeared came and unlocked the door. And I went to see this wretched Jim Wan, and I gave him a rocket. This is evil. And away we went. And about three o'clock in the afternoon, we met a Gorka platoon, the second, tenth Gorka rivals at Noble Antu. And the two Border Scout Ebars went their own way. I wasn't interested. And I wore Border Scout uniform, Border Scouts and a Hornbill and police uniform, etc. No one took any notice of it until I started talking. Yeah, I And so the Gorka lieutenant said, make him a, a mestin full of tea. And I never had better before or after. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but shortly after that, I was broadcast as dead by the Indonesian radio, Radio Pontianuk. And again, shortly after that, the Sarawak Gazette published my death, which I read with interest. When I was at the IMA, Indian Military Academy, I was the first batch from Britain to go there to fight. When I saw the Gorkas, who were demonstration troops, I felt that in no way could I ever be equal to them in any way, no way at all. And I never volunteered to be an officer with them. But destiny made me an officer of them. And I was fascinated by the remarkable way in which they operated. And it so happened that uh, I did not have a home posting out of Asia for 37 years, 324 days. And except for a job in Laos as the attache, I was with these men the whole time. And I went on an operation that in essence was 202 days living on every six days, one kilogram of food. And I lost my eyes. If I take these off, I have no idea of anything. And the doctor said, hit your head, you're blind for life. And I had met Budiman when I went to be the last recruiting officer down in Paklehawa, 200 yards from the Indian border. And it was a year later that I asked the Gorka major, who was a relative of his, if he could be, he was a civilian, half an inch too short to be enlisted, if he could be a batman. But when I told him, yes, he came to see me. And I said, I won't pay you, but I'll clothe you, food you, everything. And I'll give you enough money to buy enough land. So he had to leave home because there was not enough food. So you and a notional wife and notional children will never be hungry again. What shall we call each other? And he looked at me as though I'd forgotten my two times table. I said, father and son, what else? And we have been father and son now for 44, 45, 45 years. And the doctor, when he took my eyes out, we cut them open and sewed them up again, said, hit on the head, you're blind for life. And I wrote to King Birendra. And uh, I was also at the same time offered a job by the Prince of Wales. And when I wrote to King Birendra, I said that I was not interested in what the Prince of Wales offered me, but I had had such an awe-inspiring life, adult life, with these men 
I want to repay your majesty's subjects in any way I can through education or however. And he gave me the uniqueness of being the only foreigner in Nepali history to be a landowner and a house owner in my own name. And it was only, I was delighted because my Lieutenant Colonel's pension, 1982, which was less than 1981, was enough for his children and his brother's children. And most, all the girls, the seven girls, they're all either bachelors or masters. And one way or another, when the Maoists came and they revoked anything that royalty had done, I felt that they might revoke what the king had given me. So I applied for citizenship, Belgian braces. And my citizenship took 32 years, six months and two days to arrive. And it was only Virendra told them, King Virendra told authorities to give it to me, King Janendra twice, and two or three prime ministers I spoke to. But eventually, Gorka 200 in 2015, the British government wrote a letter to the Nepali government. I'd already spoken to the president, and the answer was, yes, but why? And the British government said, well, he's 90 plus, he loves the country, he's known, he's walked all over it, he's done lots for the poor. But what really impressed them was when I went to the ambassador, the late John Denson, and said there was a famine in the Far East, and he asked the foreign office if he could be uh, alleviated. The foreign office said no. Two aeroplanes to Cambodia and 20,000 metric tons of rice to Cambodia. And the ambassador said, if God will cross, advise it, how can you say no? And the answer was half and half. And the Nepalese seemingly were impressed with that, and I got citizenship. And two days later, on my morning walk, a truck driver called me over, grandfather, and he was holding one of these flat machine, what you call the mobile machines to his ear. And he said that the man who had given him his driving job had asked him to congratulate me calling from California. There is home. <laughs> and also, two Samans have said that Budiman and I had the same mother about 450 years ago in the Malaraja's kingdom in the Nepal Valley. And that is one reason why our relationship is like that. And maybe one reason why I am part of the furniture. I go around my morning walks and people ask for blessings. A bus driver stopped. The people in the back looked out of the window and I gave them a blessing. A taxi driver stops with these people. He asks for a blessing. The children ask for blessings to pass their exams. A little creature, I said, Baji, Baji, your blessing was right. I came first. You said I would. So it's a wonderful life. One can look back and scold oneself for behaving at the time. But I have lectured the young recruits of course, they're young, since 2002, and just about 5,000, over 5,000, including the Singaporeans. And I have three standards to which I keep to, and one is to react to the unexpected. And I think 12 times I thought I was gone. And I think reacting to the unexpected, not showing any fear to the man who wanted to cut my head off, and to other people under similar circumstances. If I had reacted differently, I don't think I'd be answering your question at all. And the other one of my mottos is stand up and be counted. And when the BBC wanted to talk to me, I said I always had a firm base, an alternate, and a reserve, even as a civilian. And my morning walks, uh, there always have been to date, about 10 miles to 11 miles. Today's was four hours, 42 minutes, for instance. 
and the people talk to me and I'm always on the TV. You see, the difficulty was that nobody quite of my linguistic ability had ever been a recruiter before. And you will be, you won't be, you will be, you won't be enlisted. Why did my knowledge of the country, the language, have to be where it was? So I was thought to be a spy. Because, you see, until 1947, one has to realize that when I went to Nepal, Kathmandu, with a friend, only two Englishmen a year were allowed in as guests. And I went with a, he's dead now, Peter Prentice. And in 1947, we reckoned we were 126, 127 people to be allowed into the country, not as a job, in the past 153 years. So therefore, to have a person like myself, well, morning walks, sometimes in Buddhism, I said to myself, what are you looking for? Why can't it go straight from A to B? And it was only after my 84th year, 3,750, along to around the house out to the road. And from then on, I'm part of the furniture. And people accept me. I have a gift, if I can call it that, of making people smile, making them laugh. And I suppose once every 10 days, once three times a month, say, people stop me for a photograph. And I'm honored. People ask me to talk. And whilst at the age of, I'm nearer 96 than 95 now, standing about is difficult. The last thing I wanted to do is take anyone's approach for granted. I think that is a great mistake. So the answer is, I think I'd probably play it as I have done because I didn't know any better. You've been listening to John P. Cross. We'd like to thank him for sharing his incredible stories with us. Please subscribe to our monthly podcast if you would like to hear more stories from the brave veterans we help, along with exclusive interviews with others like John P. Cross. If you'd like to learn more about the Gurkha Welfare Trust, then visit gwt.org.uk where you'll find everything you need to know. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening.